We're continuing in our series uh, in Scripture, every single book of the Bible for a year. We're only partway in, and we are in Second Chronicles. There's two, First and Second Chronicles, that are actually one book. But I think you might be surprised, I was surprised, that Chronicles actually came at the end of the original Hebrew Scriptures. So the chronicler is looking back. It's a retrospective on what has happened before. We haven't really uh, been able to dive deep enough to realize some of the things that the people of God were commanded to be as God's people. But one of the phrases that came up over and over again out of God's mouth is that you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. What did that mean? It did not mean they were supposed to be perfect. It meant the word holy means to be set apart, to live uniquely, a peculiar people, if you will, who are demonstrating what it means to be in a living relationship with the living God. So how did they do with that commandment and that calling? Well, over and over again, in the retrospective, you can see that the people didn't necessarily want to be different than the nations all around them. Even when they were taken out of Egypt, they were liberated by God's delivering hand. They wanted not to live that strange existence in the wilderness, depending on God day by day. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They kept begging to go back to Egypt. Then when they finally do get in the promised land, They are there and they start begging for a king. Why do they want a king? Because they want to be like the other nations around them. And they are told by Samuel the prophet that's not a good idea because when you have a king, you're just going to be oppressed and experience oppression. But finally God gives in and says to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Chronicles, looking back on how the people of Israel have done from the very beginning, especially focusing on the kings, and now the chronicler is standing um, after the exile, the epic fail of the monarchy, and goes through and remembers the, the best of David and Solomon and a united kingdom until they were divided and then were taken away into exile. So it's actually a pretty depressing end of the story I'm going to read in a minute. But I want you to listen for the glimmer of hope. Because the chronicler is looking back, this retrospective is not meant to depress them, but to actually inspire them to a new beginning, to live as God's set-apart people. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into the very last section, last king, last part of 2 Chronicles. Let's pray. Oh, thank you for your faithfulness, O God, and we ask that your spirit would come among us as we hear this chronicler's remembrance and also speaking a word of hope to us, and we pray that by your spirit we will hear you speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. Second Chronicles, encourage you to take your Bible and find it or find it online, however you do read scripture. Second Chronicles 36, beginning at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Listen to God's word to you. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the leading priests and the people also were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against his people became so great that there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their youths with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or young woman, the aged or the feeble. He gave them all into his hand, all the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officials. All these he brought to Babylon. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had made up for its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath, to fulfill 70 years. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also declared in a written edict, thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. That devastation that the Chronicler describes is really hard for us to appreciate, and we will actually spend more time on that when we're in Lamentations in early February and how that was such a struggle for them spiritually and what it meant about whether God was with them and for them or not. But the chronicler, looking back on all this, he still has hope. Hope that they can start over with a new temple, with God at the center, and presumably figure out a way to be God's set-apart people in the world. And I think that's the role of a chronicler, is to inspire the people today. At least that's the role of the chronicler in scripture, to look back and remember and let that have a positive impact on the way we live today, on the way the people lived in his day. You know, it's interesting when I think about Lin-Manuel Miranda and the amazing work that he did in Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, I think there was a way that he was a chronicler. He was looking back on American history 
He's looking back in particular on Alexander Hamilton's role in that history. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story is important. And he lifts up this story of this orphan, this immigrant, the contribution he made, his shot of greatness in the world. And actually, for those of us that have fallen in love with this musical and listened to the songs over and over again, there's a sense that the greatness of Alexander Hamilton comes later in his life, when he's humbled, when he's filled with remorse, when he turns to prayer, when he experiences forgiveness and tenderness. And then there's his wife, Eliza, who carries on his legacy, who sets up an orphanage, who opposes slavery, And it is like the kingdom of God, this hidden humility, like leaven in a lump of bread, Jesus said, like a tiny mustard seed. I think it was meant to be an inspiration for those of us living today. I also think it's fair to think of the church as a chronicler that we really are looking back beyond the end of the Hebrew scriptures, beyond the end of the monarchy, with this promise of a new king, the descendant of David, through the New Testament, to look back with Jesus at the center. To look back and think about what does it mean to be God's set-apart people today, a.k.a. saints. And the thing that I think is worth noticing too is that that desire to be like the other nations, to be governed like the other nations, that never went away. So as we stand with the chronicler from a different position this morning, from the end of scripture, from the Jesus story vantage point, I think it can be helpful for us to see how Jesus felt that pressure the pressure to be governed like the other nations, and how he handled it. And I want to go through three passages and illustrate, because I think it can help us know what does it mean for us to be God's set-apart people today. Right after Jesus had fed 5,000 people who worked this amazing miracle, there's this interesting verse. I want you to see it in John uh, chapter 6. It's only found in John, um, verse 15. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus is king. He has come as God's Messiah, but he doesn't want to be king the way they want to make him king, and he knows that. So then later on, when he's walking with his disciples, they walked a lot, and there's two disciples that come to him, and they're thinking the kingdoms of this world, like the rest of the kingdoms, that Jesus will be king over a kingdom like that, and they want to be in positions of influence and power. So after they have made their case, Jesus is troubled by that, calls them all together, and reading this in Matthew 20, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, 
Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What a contrast between the kingdoms of the world around us and the way of God, what it means to be God's set-apart people as it shows up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that only comes to a head, to a climax, really, when we move toward the crucifixion and Jesus is with Pilate. And I want to read to you that exchange because it will show you once again that temptation to want to be like the kingdoms of the world. And yet Jesus coming to set us free to live what it really means to be God's set-apart people. Conversation with Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. These ones called to be set apart for God choose once again to align themselves with the governing and the kind of government that is around them and the nations around them. And then there is Jesus, this stark contrast on the cross with this sign above it in three languages that says, the king of the Jews. This is the king the set-apart one who comes to set us free to live out our set-apartness. And not only is he crowned and honored in exhibiting his greatness on the cross, as said in Philippians 2 and by Paul, knowing only Jesus crucified, we get to the end of the story and Jesus on the throne is still the lamb who was slaughtered. This self-emptying, servant, humble way of God in Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to live as God's kingdom people. And we can see why it's so hard to want to go that way. Kamal Hassan, recently a, a pastor in our Presbytery, uh, Sojourner Presbyterian Church over in Richmond, he was on a Zoom call with Presbyterian, and he said, we have two competing Christianities today. We have one that wants to follow the way of empire and the way of greatness and the way of privilege and power over and one that wants to follow the humble servant way of Jesus Christ. Chronicler retrospective. Looking back to help the people know how they had failed and to give them this inspiring open door to a new beginning, a starting over, 
a life centered in God and living truly as a set-apart people. But the temptation has not gone away. It hadn't gone away for them when he wrote after the exile, and it has not gone away for us. We need that new beginning too. We need that new beginning, I do, all of us do, this day, on this All Saints Day of communion and worship. And there are gifts that help us. Jesus has given us gifts, the fullness of his life, death, resurrection, that we celebrate in the sacrament, which we will do just a little bit later in this worship service. Once again, seeing, touching, tasting, taking into ourselves the way of Jesus Christ, our crucified Messiah. And not only do we have the sacrament, we also have the saints. It's not something that Presbyterians do well. I think Catholics do better on this front. But the inspiration of the people who have lived as God's set-apart people, seeing the way they have done that. I have a book that was given to me when I first started ministry for me to record in it every baptism, every wedding, every sermon, every funeral that I've ever done. And I've done that. And I could open that book right now and go back through and talk about the saints from this church. Remember with you the life of people like Anita Jarvis. She was a peculiar people. She was dedicated to being one immersed in the biblical story. She didn't care what anybody else thought, but she was a servant. And noticing the people who didn't have a family or didn't have an advocate and would take them in. A set-apart people seen in, in Anita Jarvis, seen in Miguel Mendez, who also lived a unique calling, prayed the prayer of Mary, the song of Mary, every day, not only prayed it, but lived it. But I actually think it'd be more appropriate for me if we were actually to celebrate the saints, which we are today, instead of pulling out that book, to pull out our directory and to be looking at the community now and those who are living today as God set apart people, because that's our calling, to live that and to be an encouragement and inspiration to one another. And automatically, if I think of just this last couple of weeks, I think of Kathy Lair online telling us to save our bags, and she's going to take them down to St. Francis Center to give out food, just constantly steeped in the biblical story and living that servant-heartedness, that self-emptying way of Jesus Christ. I think of Mike and Bernice O'Connor. Talking to Bernice recently, asked if I could share this with you. She was talking about how they decided to get a learning pod of students and teachers for her son, their son James, who was not doing well with virtual school in the spring. And as we talked about that, we mentioned, wow, just think about the people that don't have those resources and can't take advantage of pods like that because they can't afford it. She said, yeah, the pod we chose, we actually chose because part of that money goes to help communities in East Palo Alto, these students, to have a pod. I thought, oh my gosh, that is the way of Jesus Christ. That humble, hidden, servant-hearted, 
I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, long after all the empires of this world have risen and fallen, the kingdom of God will live on. Long after all of our elections are over and all of our presidents have lived and died, Jesus Christ will still be the lamb on the throne. And all that matters in life will be measured by how we lived as God's set-apart people in this world. And today, by God's grace, we can begin anew. It was the goal of the chronicler for the people of God to begin anew. The goal of Jesus Christ to begin anew. I want to close actually with a litany and I'm going to invite the leaders, song leaders up at this time so that they can join in this litany um, with us. But this actually was taken from a book titled Jesus for President written way back in 2008 by Shane Claiborne and Chris Haw. And that book really does the same thing as the Chronicler. Looking back on the biblical story and noticing how is it that we have lived as God's set-apart people and how is it that we have not. And giving illustrations of what that looks like today. And so this is a litany. And I think it's a wonderful way for us to prepare to receive the gift of communion. So I invite you to join in this litany with me. Deliver us, O God. Guide our feet in the ways of your peace. So you'll be reading the all. There you go. Let's try it again. Deliver us, O God. Guide our feet in the ways of your peace. peace. In humility we ask. Hear Hear our our prayer. prayer. Grant Grant us us peace. peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have Have mercy mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Free Free us us from from the bondage of sin and death. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Hear Hear our our prayer. Grant us peace. Today we pledge our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. We pledge allegiance to a peace that is not like Rome's. We pledge allegiance to the gospel of enemy love. We pledge allegiance to the kingdom of the poor and broken. We pledge allegiance to a king who loves his enemies so much he died for them. We pledge allegiance to the least of these with whom Christ dwells. We pledge allegiance to the transnational church that transcends the artificial borders of nations. We pledge allegiance to the refugee of Nazareth. We pledge allegiance to the cross rather than the sword. We pledge allegiance to the banner of love above any flag. We pledge allegiance to the one who rules with a towel rather than an iron fist. We pledge allegiance to the one who rides a donkey rather than a war horse. We We pledge allegiance to the revolution that sets both oppressed and oppressors free. 
we, we pledge allegiance. To the way that leads to life, we, we pledge allegiance. To the slaughtered lamb, we, we pledge allegiance. And together we proclaim his praises from the margins of the empire to the centers of wealth and power. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Amen.